Welcome to Inside the Agency. I'm your host, Michelle Govan. I'm your co-host, Nicole Shawcross. Well, hello. We have the fabulous Judy Lee, casting director with us today. Judy, how are you doing? Great. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's, it's great to have you. It's good to see your beautiful faces. <laughs> On Zoom. Yay. <laughs> we wish it was over cocktails, but yes. it's over Zoom. <laughs> we wanted to have you today at Inside the Agency and just kind of talk about you, how you got your start, you know, your fabulous job, some fun experiences. So do you want to start with telling us how you got your start in the business? Well, you know, I actually started off as an actor. So uh, my start in this industry was on the other side of the camera, um, uh, which I think always, you know, I always say, I think it gives me a unique perspective when it comes to casting because I've been where, you know, the auditioning actors are. Um, in terms of getting into casting, it was very serendipitous. It was one of these flukes in life that was uh, not supposed to go anywhere. Uh, but I applied for a job at a, at a production company because I needed some employment in between semesters at school because I decided to go back to university. I had actually decided to leave the industry. I was um, going to ask you, what did you do at university? Well, I was going back actually to get my BSc because I, I had my, you know, I went to UBC for my BA in women's studies. that could come in handy yeah exactly (laughs) when I when I realized or you know when I felt that I was at a point where I um, wanted to leave the film and tv industry I was thinking about what my interests were and I thought that it would be just like a a really amazing new journey to uh, you know to to look into the sciences and see what was on that side of things because I've always been fascinated with just genetics and just you know just the the fluke of us all being here and how we end up the way we are so I uh, I was in I was going back to school and I was picking up some science credits so I could get into the program and I had a little break and I thought you know I, I should be earning money while I'm on this break between semesters at school and I saw an ad for an office manager position at Insight Film. So that's I when we in. met. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I remember we were the two newbies. Do you remember we would sit side by side and I'd look at you and you'd look at me and be like, holy crap, we're actually doing this job. <laughs> yeah. Like, does anyone here actually know that I don't know what I'm doing? I felt like yeah. that's where being an actor helped me because sometimes I felt like, okay, I'm now I'm playing the role of casting director. What, a ca- what would a casting director say right now? Because the, <laughs> it was such a crazy progression from, you know, I, I went into audition. Uh, audition for. <laughs> I went into an um, interview for office manager and essentially the people who interviewed me said, you know, we'd love for you to work here. Uh, you know, you just seem like a very energetic, outgoing, vibrant person, but we're not sure if office manager is the right fit for you uh, because we're just not sure if anyone's going to feel comfortable asking you to go get more creamer for the coffee or refill the toilet paper because essentially they're saying I have like a bad attitude. <laughs> you have the best attitude. It's like do it yourself. One of my favorites. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's the, it's the North Korean dragon lady thing that comes out. 
So uh, they said, you know, we'd, we'd love to keep you in mind for you know, something in the future, which, you know, generally means like piss off and don't let the door hit you on your way out. Um, <laughs> but a couple of weeks later, I got a phone call from uh, someone in the, uh, the casting director at Insight Film. And she asked if I wanted to come in and interview for a casting assistant role. And I thought like, you know, for me, I just thought what an amazing opportunity it was, you know, I thought it was kind of more for, am I allowed to swear? Yeah. Do <laughs> it swear all the time. More for, yeah. More for shits and giggles than anything else. Because I thought, what? Like casting assistant, you know, I've, I'm, I'm the one who's used to being terrified, like, you know, on the other side of the camera, as I'm auditioning, I'm the one who's, you know, usually the one peeing my pants in front of the casting assistant. So I was like, well, it'll be fun. Like I get to trade roles. And I, you know, I figured I'd just be doing it for about four to six months. But at the time, this production company was just like growing and developing exponentially. So I think it was maybe two or three months in, they asked me if I actually wanted to uh, cast my own project for them, which is- I remember this. Yeah. Yeah, we had a couple conversations when that happened. Yes, and it was nuts because that's not usually the way it happens in this industry. And it was really trial by fire, but I have to say that it was an incredible experience. I really got thrown into things. But because my background is, you know, as an actor and as a writer, and after I, I actually, right after I did leave acting, I worked in script development. So there, you know, there was a space of time between acting and casting. So I figured it was a really great way to combine, you know, my past experiences in this industry and I never left. Yeah. No, that's amazing. Yeah. So I know a lot of people want to know how you get your projects, how you obtain your amazing projects to cast. Um, usually just through my reign of terror and fear. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm scared of you. Um, you know, a lot of times it really just has to do, it's, it's, a lot of it is just repeat business, like, you know, like any other business. And I, I think that it's something that I, I often always, um, that I try to stress uh, when I'm doing, you know, various workshops even with actors is I think that because we're all creative people and, you know, we, we love storytelling, we forget that this is really, a, it's a business, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, it's, you know, I'm, you know, uh, there is a lot of, uh, you know, client and customer relations that goes on for my job. So, you know, I, I do work with a lot of producers uh, repeatedly over and over. Um, and then sometimes, you know, it's, it's word of mouth. Uh, I, uh, you know, I think in, in, especially in a place like Vancouver, it's relatively close knit. So, you know, you know, the word gets out about people and the way they work and, you know, and I, and I, you know, so sometimes I'll get called just because somebody has heard of me and they're, and they want the dragon lady. If all the bad rumors are true. Yeah. (laughs) And they are. Yeah. Guilty as charged. Yeah. They're only awesome rumors. (laughs) People are only going to talk about you if you're amazing. I have heard some bad rumors. <laughs> Haven't we all? <laughs> we may need to crack some wine to hear these. I, I'm yeah. sure we can all talk about that. Because I think, you know, actors are always bugging us. You know, I heard about this role and I want to get in on this project. And I think we want to talk about how many submissions you get for a role in a breakdown and how do you kind of narrow that down? Because I think you get hundreds to a thousand, don't you? I would, I don't know that I ever get up to a thousand, but definitely I would say, and, you know, and there are some roles that are so specific that I'm only, you know, even in Vancouver, I'm only going to get like, you know, like 
20 submissions, maybe. Hispanic, 70-year-old grandpa with exactly. a mustache. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to have one. Which I was actually <laughs> just looking for. So <laughs> in that case, you know, I, I'm getting maybe 10 people. Um, mm. And you know, half of them are Asians. No. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the submissions don't work, but you know, um, but let's say, you know, yeah, I can get, I can get well into the 400s at least, you know, for certain roles that are very general. And you're seeing what? 12, 15 per role? Yeah. Yeah. 12 to 15 per role and some, and on some films, even less. Do you feel that now that we're going to zoom and online auditions and self tapes that you're going to be able to widen that net? and see maybe 30 or 40 people instead of because before your time in the studio was so limited? I mean, for me, I've always been open to, uh, you know, self tapes if previously discussed with the agents, like, hey, I'd love for you to see this person. But they realize that the, the time I have in the room is really limited. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not just up to me. I think that that's one thing that actors should know is sometimes I only have so much time in the casting room because I only have a certain budget given to me by production to be in the casting studio. So that's not, it's not my call. It's not because I only want to see 10 people parole. You know, it's, it's because I need to get this cast within 20 hours of studio time. Um, and, and that is, it seems like a lot of time and it's not. So I, you know, I love the self tapes because it, give, it allows me to see more people. And yes, I agree with you, uh, Michelle, when, when, you know, that with the idea of if we're moving to self tapes, um, then I can see more new faces and it's something where I can see this on my own time and I'm not, you know, having to worry about how, you know, scheduling, you know, how many people in, you know, and that helps a lot. I think Zoom, for Zoom, it's going to be still, it's going to be still around the same numbers. And as many of us are, I'm still really finding my way in, you know, in terms of the, the technology. Um, so casting workbook, yeah, they've set up this virtual casting room and it's great. So it, it's also, it is, it's, it's zoom technology, but what it does, it allows me to schedule. So you as agents will, you know, your actor still gets a time, Mm -hmm. um, but then the, the program at casting workbook will, will send the meeting ID and the password and the time, you know, uh, everything, they'll handle all of that. So basically. I'm signing into Zoom. I'm bringing people in from the waiting room as it's their time. Uh, you know, yeah. we're we're reading. I'm recording, and then that that uh, those files, yeah, those files get converted um, through Casting Workbook because right now what's happening is I have done some Zoom callbacks with people, and as most people know, it's when you uh, are recording on a Zoom, you, you know, you wait till the end of that session when you end the meeting it converts all the video for you, but it doesn't, but you know, there, you know, it's like, it'll be like zoom zero with a file number. So I have to go in and rename everything so I can identify it. So it's giving me that nice shortcut. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also one thing that I find maybe it's because, you know, although like, you know, I'm, I've been having a great time with zoom and FaceTiming, you know, whether it's professionally or personally. Um, But I do think that because uh, when it's, when it comes to this kind of technology, I'm even more aware that I have to make the auditioning actor comfortable, secure, because there is maybe a slight sterility and a slight distancing that happens with technology because when people come into a room, like they see me and we smile at each other and this 
warmth and you know, I give them direction and there's a really that that real connection and i feel like sometimes with zoom we i just need to work a little harder so people know that i'm truly there with them as much as i can be you know no it's hard especially with everybody masked these days you can't see expression that's what everybody's talking about you can't tell if a waiter's smiling at you i wanted to bring up an important point though and and go back on the fact that years ago we could do pre-reads do you remember casting directors used to allot a little bit of time for pre-reads before the additions. It's yeah. such a shame that that has been cut down with the lack of budget from production because then you yeah. are missing those new faces. So I think these Zoom auditions and having more self-tapes, we are going to have more actors getting that shot that they might not have got Yes, if we yeah. weren't in this period of time. I agree. I had a question. Do you have any do's or don'ts for actors who are auditioning for you? Anything, any good advice that you would give them when they're in the audition room or when they're doing a self-tape for you? Well, you know, um, like for me, I always feel that uh, like everybody has their own process and everybody needs to figure out what serves them in an audition. So I don't know that I have specific pointers, but I do feel that like, first of all, it's, it's just important to do that homework. Um, it's not just about memorizing the lines and applying the emotionality. It's making sure that you, that, you know, that your character, uh, whether it's like 10 pages of dialogue or whether it's one line of dialogue, they have to have a story. I have to feel that every character in this is alive. You know, nobody's just backdrop, nobody's furniture. So I do think it's important to always infuse your characters with the same kind of like, you know, life that you have within your self. Um, so, you know, to not just come in and walk through it because everybody gets the same script. So they're going to know that, you know, pizza delivery person, you know, knock or and then says, that'll be nine ninety five. Uh, I don't have change for that. Right. So I feel like if you just deliver the line as it is on the page, then, you know, you're not really doing your job. I mean, there was there's a casting director. Oh, sorry. I was going to say yeah. there was a casting director that used to say, come in and leave a gift, leave a gift behind, affect me and leave that gift. And I thought it was one of the coolest ways of phrasing it and giving a a term for it in short. Come in and affect your audience. Even if it's one line, do something fun with it or toss your hair or I don't know, burp, teasing. I just whatever. No, but it's true because I think that, you know, all these, these little quirks and stuff that we don't realize we embody and project into the world are so important in a character. And I think like there, there have been so many times when that, yeah, the one line, you know, you know, let's say the, the barista role becomes my favorite of everything we've auditioned for a project because I just love what people are able to do with it. And I feel like I'm there, you know, it's just like for us right now, you know, we're, we're informed by decades of life before this moment. So, you know, it might just seem like we're sitting here and talking and discussing the industry and, you know, uh, ruminating about life, you know, but it really is like every little thing is informed by every moment that has come before us. So Mm -hmm. I feel that even that one line, I still have to feel like that person's come in with a whole story behind them. You know, I always say it's like, like a goldfish doesn't know it's wet. Right. But, you know, so that's the thing is when, you know, when, you know, uh, you know, like woman number one comes into the room and is that, you know, the Christmas pageant and taste that cookie (laughs) for that woman, you know, this is, this is a moment. And I always feel that, you know, that character might have one line or one word, but in their mind, that character 
that character thinks the movie's about them. And that's how every character should feel. Yeah, you know, and when you're reading your leads, do you yeah. find, like, I find that the lead roles now, the amount of pages that actors are required to learn are getting excessive. It used to be like six or eight pages for a lead. It's gone up to 18. I've seen one as large as 20 pages to read for a lead in a movie or feature. Do you find <laughs> it's necessary? Like, come on. I don't. For me, I just, you know, I look for the scenes that I think have a, an essence that's really um, vital to show in their work. Now, of course, like when it comes to a callback or especially if it's, you know, a series regular or recurring, you know, they might, might want to do like a chemistry read. They might want to do something more extensive. But I think that should come after. I think for me, especially that first round, it's like we're, we're looking for the essence of who that person is, um, you know, and, yeah. you know, not, and, you know, I always say it's just, it's so so often what, what, what people don't realize is, you know, when they don't book a role or even if they do book the role, it's not about who is the most talented. I think that's something that people, you know, get nervous about. They get in their heads like, oh, well, you know, this person's working more than me. Like, are they that, are, are they more talented than I am? Do they, you know, that, it's not what it's about. It's really about a fit for the vision that the director and producers and maybe the network have for this project. Mm -hmm. We tell that to a lot of our clients. We can say, because it can be subjective sometimes. They might be looking for blonde hair or they might be looking for blue eyes. Um, and you could have very well have had the best audition that day and wowed the casting director, but you might not get that part and don't take it personally. Due to aesthetics. Yeah. It might yes. not even have to do with the acting or if they're matching you to a partner or a mother or you know, a child to a father. There's always a reason why. It doesn't yeah. mean that you have failed in the audition room. Exactly. I mean, it is so subjective. And there's one anecdote that I, I tell quite often is, um, and this was years ago, and it was for an MOU, and we were looking for a sporting lead. And, you know, it was like, a, you know, woman in her mid-20s, you know, somebody who had like inner strength, but of course had to be gorgeous. Um, and, and anyway, somebody, came, this one actor came in and she just, I mean, she, she knocked it right out of the park. It was, it was such a great performance and she's you know, beautiful to look at, you know, objectively, subjectively, whatever. Anyway, she walked out of the room and I looked over the director and producer, like, you know, what do you think? Um, and the director is, you know, could, I could tell he was just like, she's great. And the producer said, oh no, no. She looks like my ex-wife. I don't want to, yes. I don't want to see that every day on set. <laughs> yes. I've heard of these stories where if you resemble yes. an ex-partner of someone yeah. watching, unfortunately, that's not going to go into your favor. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, don't go researching everyone's exes that's listed on the <laughs> breakdown list. <laughs> we don't need to monitor that. Well, it's, <laughs> it's a really interesting yeah. process because again, like Judy, you came from the acting side. I was starting out modeling. I didn't really try the acting, but it's interesting that you and I have become advocates. And now we've brought Nicole in four years ago to become advocates for these artists. Right. Isn't it interesting that we didn't move forward, but we went behind the scenes to support yeah. the artists? Well, I, I mean, for me, I, I do think that um, I feel really honored to be in that position. And I really do my best to, uh, you know, hold up this role of guardianship within the industry, because I think it's, uh, it's a real, it is a scary position to be in. Uh, and I, I admire actors so much because they give so much with a guarantee of nothing. They do. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I always, you know, I always say, and this is totally uh, truthful is like, I was not strong enough to remain an actor. 
Um, and Actors, I still did like, you hear that? Yeah. You do not need to be a pillar of strength. You just have to believe <laughs> in yourself, do good work, and just hope some amazing magic happens. Yes. And I think really into to believe in yourself and have the faith that every audition is one closer to the one you book. And people don't see all the weird and wonderful ways that things are spinning behind the scenes. But, you know, I've had people come in for an audition and they don't book it and they're disappointed. And the next time I work with the same director, producer, they're like, who read for this role? I mean, I want them, you know, it's like they came in for, you know, they came in for, you know, an actor role, a small principal. And next role, the next film, uh, they book the supporting lead. Like everything is leading to something. I think you have have to trust in your, the evolution of your work and the evolution of who you are. I tell that to um, our clients all the time. You yeah. win the lottery when you have an audition. And even though you might not book this role, you'll probably, we've had phone calls after someone's gone in for an audition for them to come back for a different project because the casting director saw yeah. them. So every time they can get into the room, take it. <laughs> and don't worry thing. about the size of the role because yes. the next one you'll be remembered for. We have actors sometimes will pass on great roles yeah. because they don't feel it's big enough for the series that they're looking at. They either want a reoccurring arc, a series reg, or nothing. How are, what are your thoughts on that? Especially if I feel it's such an, a show that's just really showcasing artists well, I feel yeah. you should jump in there. You should put your hat in the ring. Yeah. I mean, of course, like, and I mean, you two know that they're, you know, if when people pass on projects for that particular reason, I, I always say, and I truly mean it, that I respect an actor's decision to make those, you know, make those choices for their own career. So I don't take it personally. However, I do, I also do sometimes feel like there, there can be, and this is, you know, I feel like it's, I feel hesitant saying it because I don't want Just people to feel regretful, but there are sometimes are missed opportunities and you, and you don't know, let's say if it's a series, you don't know if something's going to be, become recurring sometimes. Right. I mean that it, it will happen quite often where you just make such an impact that they decide to bring the character back. This has um, happened to me on so many shows. I had yeah. people on like Battlestar Galactica that went as a fighter pilot. Next, you know, the client is done, I think over 18 episodes and became basically a series regular. Yeah. And same with other shows, especially like shows like the hundred, uh, the crossing, you know, now Snowpiercer, it's a small that set. Woman. It's a small group, that woman. Right. But yeah. the smaller sets where you're either trapped on an island or stuck in a train, those roles, you're going to see them again. So are yeah. you sure you really want to turn this down, even though it's a principal role instead of a guest star or a possible recurring? Yeah. I also think that one thing that actors should do a lot more like MOW and feature work than, you know, continuing series. Um, but for me, like if I bring somebody in for an actor role, um, and they, re they're, um, you know, they, I feel like, wow, this person has something that I want to keep watching. Um, I'm not going to then leave them in this role. And, you know, I mean, the, the last time I worked on sort of a, a larger series was Romeo section on CBC. And that's like something that would come up sometimes. People would say, well, they, you know, they, they want to wait for something that recurs. But, you know, that was another situation where sometimes one, a character would come on and then they would just keep coming on for the series. Yes. Or like if somebody comes in, you know, it's just, if I have the, the option of using you as, you know, uh, you know, detective number one in one episode and you come, or 
being able to use you in something else. But now that I've seen you, I realize, hey, this would be, let's keep this person in our files for something else. That is going to happen. Yeah. Let's talk about what else happens though. I've had artists read for leads and be demoted to a small principal or principal other than actor roles being jumped up to a sporting. I've had Right. both sides of the spectrum. And it's yeah. always bizarre because it's hard too. It's, it's, I think it's even harder when the actor does read for one of the leads or supporting and then the offer comes in as a principal or a large principal. And you sit there going, oh crap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know it's going to be difficult to an agent. It may not always be something that is, that an actor is going to get excited about. So, you know, truly like I, I never feel I never feel put out if that situation happens and, you know, somebody came in to read for a lead and now they're, you know, being asked, do you want to do like a small principal one day? I, ne- I never feel offended. I never feel like, how dare you not take it? Because okay. I, I can understand that. Um, I do also, I do feel sometimes that there, there will be roles that say it's, you know, it's a supporting lead. And then when the, um, you know, when the offers go out, it, you know, there have been some script rewrites is not as big as it was in the original breakdown or also like something can be a supporting, but because all the locations for it are in one place, it's not going to be the, you know, 10 to 15 days an actor's hoping for, it's going to end up being one or two. I know that's all I've had those offers. (laughs) We're estimating five or six and it's like one or 10 days and it's four. I'm like, what just happened? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that can be rewrites or that can just be that they're like, everything's shot in one location. They can get it done in like two days as opposed to stretching it out. Right. No. One of the things I love about you, Judy, is that you are known to fight for the underdog. You are known to find that new actor and elevate their career because you believe in them and you see something so special in them. Well, you know, for me, that's always like such an exciting moment when I know that, you know, I read a script and it's such a unique and amazing character. And I feel that I know the person who really can embody that and then also give it even more life. Mm -hmm. Nicole, do you want to ask about pet peeves? I know there's one you want to talk about. Okay, my ultimate pet peeve is time changes. What are your thoughts on time changes? Does it mess okay. up your schedule or your casting schedule for the day to see people at different times? It, I, my big question is I've always heard that if you're not in your group, like if they're seeing all the lead character of Sean at 2 o'clock to 4 o'clock or 2 o'clock to 3 o'clock and you don't go in your zone that's being presented as a block and you're at the end of the day because you've asked for a time change. Does that alter the success of you potentially booking that role? I would say that applies more uh, to callbacks. I do Mm -hmm. love it when people stay in their groups and callbacks because, uh, and you know, I'm not, you know, dissing any directors or producers I work with, but these are very busy people. And I usually only get them for like maybe two half days throughout the entire prep process in order for them to see the callbacks and their minds are working fast. So yeah, it's like if we have all of our Sean's coming in from two to two 30, and then we have one last Sean at the end of the day, sometimes because they're not really able to put everyone beside each other, you know, a person can get a little bit lost in the shuffle. That's what we say. That's what we say to our clients. We're talking about in-room auditions, obviously, not, you know, anything to do with self-taping. That wouldn't count. But just if you ask for time change hours after, how could you imagine that that producer and director are going to remember the previous two or three callbacks and now you at the end of the day? I feel it 
harms them, harms their chances of booking? I would say sometimes that's definitely the case because mm-hmm. it's just their minds are already made up, right? Um, and it, it's something that's, it's completely like, uh, you know, unintended on the part of the decision makers. But yeah, you'll come in the end of the day, but their minds are already set. So it's, you, you don't get, you're not really getting that, that open-mindedness and the eagerness to see this. So right. I do think for callbacks, it's just, it is, it, it is often beneficial to stay within that, that group. Um, when it's, you know, when it's the, the tape to reads with me, um, I, I don't mind it, but I, I do sometimes feel like I've actually had people like ask for time changes because they have like, you know, unfortunately, their agents let me know like, they have a lunch appointment that they can't. And it's like, oh, no, come on. That's what drives me nuts. If you, you know, be available. If you have, yeah. if you're taping, if you have another audition or if you're on set, I'm happy yeah. to change or ask for a time change. But if it's because you don't want to get out of bed before 10 a.m., yeah. I'm like, no, get yeah. up and get well, to and, and let's chat about the fact that in the U.S., they'll cast over a week sometimes for a few roles where in Vancouver, I find we have two half day sessions. I find our sessions are a lot shorter and tighter because some of my LA clients will ask me for a time change and a date change, not just a time change. So I think it's, you know, different markets. I think we have a lot less casting time and it's of the essence people. You got to make those appointments. Although, you know, one thing that I do want to say that I is, you know, because a, I was an actor, and B, I still have some close friends who are actors. Um, I also, I, I get it that people are often juggling things in order to support their acting habits, <laughs> right? Yes. So, uh, you know, obviously, if somebody has a job and it's hard for them, you know, I don't want someone to get fired because I, I get it. Like, they mean, you know, they, they need that income. Um, also, for me, like, as a working mom, I also understand that sometimes if it's like if I'm booking people around 2.30 to 3.30 and there are kids to pick up, uh, that's something, you know, there are things that I feel like I'm willing to work around because I really appreciate that people are, they're giving me their time for free. I was going to ask you, I want you to, if you can, give us a couple of really fun stories, like your favorite moments in casting, if you have a couple off the top of your head. Okay, well, um, I do have to confess that I love pranking actors. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love it. I did not know this. And, uh, you know, like, for instance, I mean, this is just a little thing, but it is really, <laughs> now, now that I think about it, it's so mean. You have People to are it. prepped and they're ready to go. And so let's say like, I'll have somebody coming in to do like this, you know, this nice, you know, like Hallmark dad role. And then when they come in, like, I'll make sure like, we'll, we'll give the reader other sides. So they're about to start <gasps> no, talking about so-and-so don't. just won the baseball game or the, the cookie contest. And then my reader be like, but don't you want a piece of this? <laughs> no. <laughs> sexy sides. <laughs> Please tell like me that. this is with close friends you have in the industry, not just some new developed <laughs> actor and you've just scared them into a- It'll definitely be people that I know um, I can, can handle it. Often it'll be like, I'm like a friend of the readers, let's say. So it's somebody that they're already comfortable with. Um, you know, and it's somebody that I've read often enough that they're going to know that often, you know, you, you leave Judy Lee's casting room and you have to sign that waiver to promise you won't tell other people what she said. So I don't get sued. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> and don't let my daughter know that I said anything because I am a mother. 
Oh, I, I love that. that. But I, do, I'm, I'm sure too, after a prank, you probably get a bit more of a natural performance or a good performance because they've almost <laughs> got the jitters out or something. It definitely or more jitters. Yeah. I definitely listen to people up and I'll be like, okay, like, you know, make sure that they get enough, you know, tries at that. But sometimes you just, you know, they're long casting days and you've got to mix it up. <laughs> For sure. Oh, we, we try to have as much fun as possible. Yeah. It's just going to be so interesting to see what happens next. Do you have a dream project that you would love to cast or something that you would love to achieve in the future? You know, I don't know that I have a dream project, but I, you know, I, I have to say that, you know, I love working on um, Canadian projects, um, whether it's series or features, because I feel that, um, you know, there's, there's so many, there's so many stories here and so much talent. Um, and I know what a challenge it is to get things produced um, as a, a Canadian filmmaker. And, you know, when I have a chance to tell those stories, it really means a lot to me. And I've had the, you know, opportunity to work on some really incredible films in the past few years. Um, I've had the opportunity to work on some stories that, uh, that, uh, are, uh, really represent some really Im important moments and, and stories of first nations people. And, you know, those, those, you know, it, it's not that I, I feel like I'm not excited about the other projects I do, but I do feel that while it's so important to create content that, that helps people you know, escape everyday life. I know that, you know, I know what a stress relief it is sometimes to sit down and, you know, watch one of these Christmas movies or watch a movie where you just know everything's going to be okay in the end. But I also think it's important for the arts to educate. And especially now we're really seeing that, right? And I feel that it's when I have the opportunity to tell a story and, you know, and truthfully, like, and maybe people might uh, disagree with me on this or poo-poo me when I say that I think it's important that a story doesn't lecture because, you know, I think what's important is that people really see the, like the human bonds that tie us all. And to be able to, you know, when you watch a film or a television show um, and you see the story of a residential school survivor um, and what they went through and you're there with them and, and you see the story and you feel the pain, it, it ties us more to understanding um, what Indigenous people go through in our country and, and why there are the issues that are there. Um, you know, in, in a way, I think it, it, it takes the politics out of it. And sometimes that's the way to really get a message across is to make it human. And, and we just forget that sometimes, you know, we close ourselves off. So I think that it's so important that we have that aspect when it comes to our industry is being able to tell a story that teaches and unites us. I think there's gonna be a lot of those stories coming out with what's I happened so. in the news. Yeah. I hope we really can affect and make change and grow. I think we can. I've, you know, I've seen it happen with people who watch certain projects. So for instance, my, my parents are Korean immigrants and they're not toxically prejudiced, but they certainly were raised obviously in a nation that's very homogenous. It's really one, one ethnicity. Um, they, they emigrated to Canada and really put their noses to the grindstone to work hard to make a better life for the kids. Um, but they didn't have this exposure to most of the Canadian population and to all the stories. So when they saw uh, Indian Horse, 
which is a movie that I cast about the residential school system, uh, my mother came to me in tears. And she had no idea that this was part of Canadian history because it's been so buried. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, she and my father, and my father is, my father is, he's retired. He plays golf. He likes his beer. Um, and for him, he was so moved. And they told all their friends to go watch it. You know, these are people in their seventies, and for them, it really revealed a part of Canadian history that they felt they didn't want to be hidden anymore. Right. And I think that's the way art can affect people. It can. And I think we do need to educate and educate more. And this is the perfect opportunity right now in the United States, Canada, North America, and the world to get educated and get better. We need to be better. Yeah. I think that's a really great way of the way you were talking about it, storytelling, because it does resonate more with the humanity um, of each of us and where does it come from and what uh, what does it bring up for each of us personally yes yeah Mm -hmm. well i'm glad we could have you here with us today yeah thank you for joining us it'll happen soon cocktails soon that's Mm -hmm. for sure yeah